You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Furfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now, because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Well, here we are again. Fancy seeing you here. I know. Here we go. Um, and of course, I'm very excited because it is um, our National Dog Bite Prevention and Behavior Conference in the UK, June 6th and 7th here in the UK, doing some amazing things. I love it here, but it's our conference this week and um, it's at the University of Lincoln. And we have a two-day conference where we have amazing speakers going to be speaking to us about why dogs are aggressive, about bite prevention, about general behavior. I'm one of the speakers and uh, we have people like Daniel Mills, who's a professor at the University of Lincoln, and he does a lot of research actually into pheromones, but a lot of other uh, great stuff as well. We have Kendall Shepard, who's a veterinarian and animal behaviorist. We have David Ryan, Nando Brown. I mean, we have got, we've got the creme de la creme mm-hmm. of speakers. So very, very nice. excited for this weekend. Very cool. Mm -hmm. So I saw something in the news and and I was hoping you could clear it up. Something about dogs coming from, because here's what happened. So I was in New York City a while back, last month. uh, Yeah, about a month ago now. And um, I was with a friend. We were walking in Soho and we saw this cute little dog on the side of, you know, with this woman. And I thought it was her dog. And then I noticed she had a t-shirt on. It was um, a rescue called Animal Haven. Great people, great group. And we started talking about this little dog, Marnie, and I'd asked her, you know, oh, what's her story? Just, you know, thinking, did they find her on the street? Was she a puppy? Because they had had her for only two weeks. She said, oh, we just got her from Thailand. And I said, Thailand? She said, yeah, she was rescued from the dog meat trade. Mm. And I mean, it just, oh my God. And I know we've all seen pictures or maybe heard about it. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this dog is so precious. And then I was reading, because, you know, of course, I of course have to study everything and Google everything and research everything. And then there was something about dogs coming in from Turkey. So yeah, like I didn't ever knew this happened. Well, I think definitely the, the, the dogs being used for the meat trade, that's I think that's something we should cover in a podcast and sort of dedicate mm-hmm. some time to it because there are some to. great foundations out there. The Soy Dog Foundation in Thailand that rescues dogs from the meat trade. There's a terrible meat trade in Korea. You know, a lot of these Asian countries where in Korea, for example, and I'm sure this is right for other parts as well, but well, they'll, they believe that eating meat that has been recently or from a dog that's been beaten, that <sighs> they beat the dog first whilst the dog is alive so that the blood goes to the muscles and that is apparently when they eat the meat that makes a man more virile it's like that whole like elephant tusk rhino tusk it's It's, like it is so 2015 i know i'm sorry but it's backward i apologize i I, i'm but for people who practice that shame 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 and you know the the dog meat trade is horrendous any kind of cruelty is horrendous soy dog foundation do a lot of great work you know, I think that needs to happen. However, this is the story that came out recently was that 36 golden retrievers were rescued from Turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, they're now in North Fulton County. We live, uh, I live in Fulton mm-hmm. County, Georgia, and they adopt a golden, which is a great organization mm-hmm. here, um, helped bring three dozen purebred golden retrievers from Istanbul 
It was the largest international golden rescue ever. Where'd they come from? Like, was it a breeder? Was it, do they say? I mean... She said she got a call from a Turkish shelter asking mm. for help with overcrowding. She flew oh. 36 to Atlanta, took them to the oh. Pet Lodge Pet Resort, so the dogs can adjust before they're adopted. adopted. They yeah. even have their own interpreter. Because, of course, if oh. they're Turkish dogs, they're not going to understand it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Here's my issue. Yeah. We have so many dogs in this country mm-hmm. that need rescuing. Mm-hmm. So many dogs that don't have homes. Why are we bringing animals in from other countries? I know people will bring them in from Puerto Rico or bring them in from South America or Central America. And I get it. I understand, you know, we got to take the dog somewhere. If you're rescuing from the meat trade, mm-hmm. they're going to go to England or they're going to go to European countries or they're going to come to America. But this woman was, you know, Dr. Golden's great. I mean, they did it, mm-hmm. the best intentions. But I don't know. What do you think about it? It's a really tricky uh, one because I know it is. I'm not saying it's wrong. All I'm just saying is I question it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm on the fence about that. You know, now that I know kind of the details about it, you know, we do this with children. How many people go overseas? I mean, there's many children in the United States that need homes, yet we go overseas to adopt children. So it's the same. So I get that. Like, why not look at home? Why not, you know, help your your neighbors, help your, you know, do something. But then on the flip side, a life is a life to me. And I don't, you know, see color, race, sexual orientation, religion. So it's a human life. It's an animal life. It's a, you know what I mean? So if you can save one being, one living being, then why? It's a good thing. So if you were in that same situation, somebody called you up and said, I need to get these golden retrievers to you. Can you help me? And you had, you had the resources to be able to help them. Would you do it? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Of course, Me you know, too. it's tough and, and that's mm-hmm. just who we are. But, mm-hmm. you know, or you could say, well, what kind of dogs are very popular? What is what do you do not have in Turkey? I'll take 26 golden yeah. retrievers no. and give you 26. No. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that doesn't work. Maybe you could do a trade. Yeah, no, it's not. Yeah. Well, talking of golden retrievers, we have one of our favorite people that is mm-hmm. waiting online right now. We're going to call her up. And her name is Jennifer Arnold. She's yes. the founder of Canine Assistance, which is a wonderful assistance dog organization, service dog organization up in um, Alpharetta in mm-hmm. Georgia and they provide dogs with people with disabilities with severe medical conditions with diabetes with PTSD uh, PTSD epilepsy and they really are you know when there there are some people that you meet in your life that you go they're just incredible mm-hmm. uh, they are incredible well this woman is incredible she's written some beautiful books best selling books a new york times bestseller book through a dog's eyes and it really i mean what else can i say about it? well maybe we should just get her on the phone anyway before she does mm-hmm. get on the phone she and i have wonderful discussions about training mm-hmm. and we're always and i think part of being a good trainer is you're always willing to adapt you're always mm-hmm. willing to learn you're always willing to better yourself and she's the same and she is extremely knowledgeable because, of course, she's placing dogs with people that are highly compromised in one way mm-hmm. or another, you know, that are dealing with some pretty severe stuff in their life. So she has to place a dog with them that the dog is going to be happy and secure, that the people are going to be happy and secure. And so she knows dogs, right? Mm-hmm. And she has come up with it's not it's a new way of training. It's not a new way of being because I think people have been like this a lot without realizing it. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of taken it and opened everybody's eyes to it and cultivating it, cultivating really. it and expanding it. Mm-hmm. And it's called bond based choice teaching. And it is truly wonderful. So should we get on the line? Yeah, I, w- I want to hear about this. 
The Positively Hotline is ringing. We don't know what we're going to do. We have no plan. We're just here. Who's calling in this week? He went after her like she's made out of ham. That is interesting. That's exciting. Um, is somebody going to answer that? Hello? Hotline ringing. You're on your phone, and I don't think you're taking any of this seriously. Answer the phone! Ladies and gentlemen, let's go! Hey, Jennifer, how are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you guys? Good, thank you. It's good to have you on here. We're very excited to talk about Bombay's Choice Teaching. Yay, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, well, can you tell anybody who's listening what Bombay's Choice Teaching is all about? Sure. We found as we were working with our service dogs in training, um, and you know, it's just a, it's a real pressure cooker for these dogs. It's sort of what pet dogs go through times a thousand in terms of their behaving appropriately and, and learning things. And, and we've been doing this for 25 years now. And, and what we found is that dogs are so brilliantly social, as we know, also from a lot of the science coming, you know, a lot of the cognition centers are producing lots and lots of evidence about how social dogs are and how they include us in their social group. And what we've had tremendous success doing, rather than sort of the traditional approach to I said sit, is allowing the dogs to understand when it is appropriate to do certain things based on when we do them. It has been absolutely amazing for our dogs. We we no longer teach you know, traditional sort of behaviors on cue the way we used to. We now teach a lot through imitation, and our dogs are very happy. We focus exclusively on you know the dog developing trust in us and trust in themselves and, and feeling confident and brave, and it's just been a very startling change here. Now, it's not to say that you haven't gone through various, you know, throughout the 20 years that you've had canine assistance. You've gone through all different kinds of training styles, isn't it? So it's not like you haven't experienced every style that there is out there, practically. Listen, we have done it all. In the early days, not knowing any better, allowed people to come in and, and help us, and they were very kind-hearted people, but who had, you know, very, very, very negative techniques in terms of working with the dogs and and the and then we went to you know all positive reinforcement and and it's great uh, the all positive reinforcement just showed us some limitations here in that the dogs became very dependent on being directed and that's not very functional in real life you know in real life you want your dog to know when he needs to chill out without having to sort of control his every movement. And so that's what led us into looking for other ways to communicate to the dogs. You know, it's appropriate to be up and bouncy now, and now it's not appropriate to be up and bouncy. And, and realizing that they could read situations based on how we behaved, especially when there's a strong connection between dog and person, just absolutely has blown our doors off and made it all so easy. It's so easy. You know, I feel sorry for the volunteers who have worked with us for years and years because I see this kind of look in their panic in their eyes because this approach is so incredibly simple. They're worried about what they're missing. It just is easy. They are super smart socially. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're. but let's just be devil's advocate for a while. There are people out there that are going to say, but 
you know, I use positive reinforcement. My dog loves me. My dog listens. Nothing he can think. He can make blah, blah, blah. You know, nothing wrong. Right. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. And certainly it is part of what we do here. What we realized, however, was that particularly because of the way, you know, our dogs grow up here on the farm and they don't live permanently in a home until they graduate around 18 months of age. And, and so much of their, well, of all of their early life is sort of spent in this educational process. And so they don't have a lot of time where they're just kicking it around with their peaks at home. And so we saw the negative effects of directing the dog's behavior much more vividly than you might with a pet dog because it's, you know, they're just constantly told what to do here when we were using the sort of the positive reinforcement approach exclusively and, and it presented some problems for us. In that, and this is the part that I think people are going to, you know, come to see and understand, directing your dog's movements, for example, let's say if you have the clicker and you want your dog to, you know, show you certain behaviors. So you're in control now of what you want the dog to do. And the dog has to work to figure out what it is you want. And then when the dog does the right thing, they're praised, they're rewarded. We turn that upside down with bond-based choice teaching. So the praise and the treats are free. We just love you. We just love you and we just think you're awesome and we trust that when we sit and say it's time for us to settle now, that you'll be so into us that you will copy our behavior and it works. So let me ask you oh, this. Brilliantly. Let me ask you this, Jennifer. So for, you know, you had mentioned because they do have sort of a group home kind of uh, facility, you know, that's their grow. They grow up sort of together and it's not in, you know, right. a small home with a family. It's a different environment. So for people listening to the podcast who, you know, think, okay, well, well, this is interesting. I want to be able to implement this in my dog training at home. How can they use elements of this to start the training process with their dog so they have some of this sort of learning behavior as well? Well, one of the things that we've seen, and it is thanks to the, you know, we've had some very brave pet dog trainers <laughs> who, of course, work with Victoria because not only are they the bravest, they're the best come and work with us here and see what we're doing and go back and adapt it very easily with pet dogs. And it's been very effective. And, and I think one of the things that I would encourage people to do if they want to try this is, you know, don't say, I'm going to give you a cookie when you sit. Mm-hmm. Make your affection, your treats, all of that, not based on the dogs complying with your directives. And just adore them and tell them that they're adored. And then you try sitting in a chair and looking at your dog and see if your dog doesn't just sit in front of you. I have a feeling they will. It's what we've seen with everybody else. I think we just maybe made it a little bit more difficult. We've developed a whole generation of helicoptering pet parents. And that makes it harder on the dogs and it makes it harder on the parents. And the dogs are, I believe with all my heart, that a lot of the anxiety that we see in pet dogs today is coming largely from the fact that the dogs want to sort of synchronize with their people Mm -hmm. and, and make their people happy. And we keep getting in their way by making it more difficult for them to understand. So almost like, okay, so it's almost like the dogs have lost, and I feel this and I feel like I see this a lot, they've lost the ability to cope 
in any kind right, of situation, they, especially social situations, because they're so dependent on being cued, they've lost that ability to cope and to think, really. So they're just right. waiting for you to guide them so, as opposed to making, so using their mind. Having somebody come in your house, and, you know, we, in our wonderful humanness, God love us, we just try so hard to control things. If you have a dog, for example, that jumps on people when they come in the house, instead of addressing the underlying disease there, which is that the dog becomes very anxious and is worried about, is this safe? Is this person going to like me? Is this person going to like my family? You know, are we okay here? We try to then control the, the symptom, which is the jumping, by exerting more more control and more pressure and making the dog, for example, go lie down in their place. And while that may work in certain circumstances, it's not making the dog feel more secure. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see those, you know, that balloon's going to explode one day if you keep having water drip it. I mean, you know, it's sort of a, their pressure that keeps going in there. And so what we do is we say, okay, why is this happening? And how can we help the dog feel more confident in the situation and safer so that they don't have to jump and yet we're allowing them to control their own behavior? It's interesting. Which makes them feel more capable. It's interesting because we're shifting a little bit. And I think people like Victoria and I have, have talked about this before. We're understanding that, you know, animals, we think of, oh, it's a dog. Well, that they have a, a deeper sense of understanding and emotion and that, that emotions can make decisions. So there's, there's a tie between how they feel and what they do, where we oh, often think of animals as they're just deal. reactive. Yeah. And we that we're what, acknowledging you know what, these we, emotions. We've been so worried about controlling what they do. And I think all the time, every hour on the hour in my life now, I think about that wonderful Maya Angelou quote about people forget what you say and forget what you do, but they never forget how you make them feel. Right. And I believe that with, with our dogs, they're, they're not robots to be controlled. They're sentient, wonderful, social beings who can control themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, that's what we need to work on. Yeah, I agree. And I think here's the difficulty, putting it into terms of for the modern dog trainer. I'm just speaking for myself and for right. everybody else. When you go into home, you know, switching kind of clients to that way of thinking is going to take a while. It's going to take a big sort of shift because the clients want to see results and mm-hmm. they want to see, see results and they want you to teach their dogs to sit and stay and come when called. And <laughs> and so I think it's going to be I think it's going to be great for some people. I think some people are going to get it. And I also think some people are going to find it really hard to, to utilize themselves because well i've just paid you for an hour and all you're saying is love my dog and uh, but i want my dog to sit yeah, and stay you know and blah, blah, blah. so we faced that i mean we faced that in a mega way with our service dog clients i mean imagine coming in to get an assistance dog right. and being told and so one of the things that we found that really helps people to understand that what we're doing is encouraging you to approach this from a different perspective is that one of the first things we teach them is how to help their dog communicate and answer yes and no questions. So, for example, our dogs, we say, I want a bunch of T-shirts that say the best untrained dogs on the planet for <laughs> our, our dogs. We don't focus on teaching the long downstay anymore, but we do focus on teaching the dog to understand well enough to answer yes and no questions. So, for example, a young woman who has one of our dogs and she has type 1 diabetes, the dog awakened her in the night 
and was trying to tell her that something was wrong by nudging her and licking her. And, and so she held out her hand. Well, she said, is it my blood sugar? And she held out her left hand and said, yes. And her right hand had said no. And the dog nudged the hand for yes with her nose. And then she said, is my sugar high and held out her left hand or low and held out her right hand? And the dog hit the right hand for low. Wow. Her blood sugar was 38. Whoa. So once you show people how brilliant their dogs are and what they're capable of actually learning, I think they can quit focusing on on sitting down. You know what? And you're so right, because actually I was in England and my mother had a friend of hers whose dog was very out of control. And she said, well, come over and bring your dog over. And my daughter will sort it out. Thanks, mom. Uh, right. And um, so this woman bought oh, her. That's what you want to do. Right, right. exactly. I'm on vacation. Thank you. And then this lady, lovely lady, brings her dog around. who's a sort of Tibetan terrier mix and jumping off the walls. Bless his heart. So we just sort of focused on hanging out and letting the dog discover and just be. And then, and then I just started some, I was like, I want to show this woman how incredible her dog is. So I just said, I'm just going to see if this dog imitates me. Let's just play. Right. I just want to mm-hmm. play. So I started, so I was like, I just started talking to the dog and then I put my hand on, we call it a puffy seat. It's an ottoman, but we call it a puffy <laughs> seat in, uh, in England. And I put my hand okay. on the ottoman and I just, I looked at the dog and I just, I said, can you do this? And then. And the dog put its paw right up on the no ottoman way. like me. Absolutely no kidding, no lie. And then I did the other hand and he did the other paw. And then I did both. And the dog did both. And I looked right. at the lady and I said, don't ever tell me that your dog is not listening to you or is not smart or is not intelligent or is not doesn't have the ability to think or, you know, because dogs are watching us and you can become bonded with your dog. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's not really bond-based choice teaching, but it, that was to show is, her what exactly it kind of is, what, what is I mean, imitation. It's exactly <clears throat> what you're facilitating with. And it is a huge part of what we do. And, and you just, once you blow people doors off with how capable their dogs are, they seem to cut you some slack in terms of wanting a dog that you can control using these keywords. It's very limiting. Those words are nice, but they're very limiting. And we have a woman who works here in our, uh, she's a volunteer. She's been a volunteer for 20 years. She's a wonderful woman. She is the single worst dog handler technically on the planet. So her recalls are things like, hun, come, come, hun, come, (laughs) hun, come, come. But she has sort of inadvertently always done the bond-based approach and with her dogs. And she is the only person I've ever known who consistently has dogs. The dog could be, a deer could run by. The dog could be chasing the deer. And she has a sighthound. (laughs) And she says, hun. And the dog's like, oh, I'm coming. Sorry. Yeah, right. It is well, the most remarkably effective. You know, love is a big deal. And and I think that we forgot that there's nothing more powerful than having somebody love us. Absolutely. And pay and, attention to us. And all the things that we were doing that made it harder for our dogs to feel loved by us and to love us to get in the way that's all if people want to find out more about this bond-based choice teaching where would they go well, we have a new, um, we have a little Facebook page. It really, uh, you know, can, any um, canine assistant signing up to get our newsletter is a great way to find out more. And then bond-based choice teaching, there's a Facebook page now. And so we'll keep people kind of up to date as it moves into the more into the pet world. 
Great. So if you want to find out more about Canine Assistance, the website's canineassistance.org, isn't it? And you can find out and you'll be able to get to the whole Bombay's Choice teaching right. via that as well. And absolutely. And I have to say, I'm, you know, on the board for Canine Assistance and it, it is the most amazing place with the most incredible people. And you, Jennifer, are just one of those lights in the world. <laughs> as well as your brother, oh, Gary, you. and you've done so much for so many people in desperate situations, you know, chronically ill people, including chronically ill children that desperately need a service dog, that desperately need that, that help. You have really changed the lives of thousands and thousands of thousands of people in this country and continue to do so. Your amazing books, and now with this bond-based choice teaching, it's going to take it into the stratosphere. I'm very, very excited. So I would encourage everybody who's listening, please go on to canineassistance.org, find out how you can either donate, you can volunteer, you can find out more about what they do, and if you ever get the chance to go visit them. It's a really cool place. Call them I and go it. visit and get a bit of puppy love. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. Wow. Thanks, Jennifer. Good to talk to you. Thanks for Thank all the you good so info. Much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, you got something on your mind? Are you a wizard or genius? How do they make a miniature? I mean, is there some way, some process they they physically miniaturize the dog, or is it a puppy, or what? What the devil is going on? That's a really good question. I've got my work cut out for me here. Next time you want to know something, can you repeat the yes. question? Why don't you ask Victoria? She's the expert with this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, you obviously don't dog. know my dog. Just ask Victoria. Okay, there's a question here that um, I have. You know, the more questions we go through in this podcast, the more I think that's my dog. That's my dog. That's my dog. I just realized they've got a lot of problems. <laughs> And you've helped them, though, get through it, because this is one you helped with cashmere. So this is Hugh in Australia. I think it's our first question from Australia. Oh, nice. I'd go visit there, too. We have a VSPDT in Australia. You as do? Well. We do. Very exciting. That's where my mom, my mom's family's from, really? Australia and New Zealand. Okay, yeah. can we, we go were... down there sometime, please? Of course. Yes. I'd really love to. Absolutely. Okay, this one says, hi, Victoria. My name is Hugh. My partner, Cammie, and I adopted a year-old rescue pup, a GSP crossed with a bull Arab. So okay. is that a big dog? Or? Yeah, yeah, German Shepherd. Oh, German. Okay. She's a great dog and we love her dearly, but we can't get her to stop licking. We understand that this is a submissive gesture and she's a very submissive dog. The licking, though, is starting to drive us a little batty. Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. How old is she again? A year old. A year old. Yeah. And uh, she's a rescue? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Licking is not just always submissive. Licking can be, you know, what is she licking? Is she licking parts of her body? Is she licking them? Is she licking furniture? Is she licking the ground? There are some dogs that will do everything. I had a dog, I went in with a boxer who used to like to lick his owner's bald head. Oh, that's yeah. weird. Maybe yeah. salty. They were crazy. They like the salt. I'm, I really, I'm sure dogs just love, you know, licking dogs love skin because it tastes nice right. to them. And he says, we understand it's a submissive gesture and she's a submissive dog. So I, I would assume she's licking them. Yeah. To sort of. Okay. Let's so say let's, it's that. Let's say licking them. And I, you know what? I don't think it's always a submissive gesture. It is when pups lick mum's mouths, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it can be towards humans, but I also think it's it's a great way of showing affection. Mm-hmm. It's a great way of getting attention. And they like the taste of it, and it becomes habitual, and it makes them feel good. It releases those pleasurable endorphins, and they like it. 
So they like it. We they don't. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> now some dogs might lick because they are actually anxious, and it's a displacement behavior that sort of brings relieves that anxiety. The only trouble is, is that they do it so much that now it becomes a compulsion. Mm-hmm. Now they can't stop. Some dogs will do it to cope with a change of situation. They'll start licking because somebody's come through the door or mm-hmm. a guest has arrived and the dog will start licking to cope with the situation. And some dogs will lick for a referred pain. They might be licking part of their body that hurts. Let's say if they're licking themselves mm-hmm. that hurts or they might be licking a part of their body that's not attached, seemingly not attached to where they're actually having pain. So um, that's called referred pain. So there are many reasons why, mm-hmm. not just submission and find out why. Mm-hmm. What triggers it? What circumstances? How does she lick? Does she lick just in a very soft way? Does she lick in a very frenzied way? What is her whole demeanor? Is her body very tense? Is her body very fluid? Are her ears back? Does she really look submissive when she licks? And, and when is she licking? Is it when right, she's when, by herself and she comes over to you? And is Yeah. What are the circumstances? Write that down in a journal. I'm big into writing things down in journals so that you can kind of see where behavior happens, start tracking it. And then work to, I don't want to say stop the dog from licking because the dog probably needs to lick a little bit. It's reinforcing, mm-hmm. makes them feel good. We don't want to stop a pup from doing that, but we don't want it to happen all the time. And this is where we used to, the dog would lick and we would get up and just walk away. That's one of the easiest ways, actually. Mm-hmm. If the dog's not going to get attention Especially from licking. wanting attention. Right, yeah. exactly. You get up and you walk away. It's effective. It works. And then you go back to the dog. You start interacting. The dog licks. You get up and walk away. So licking means you leave. Not licking means you stay. Mm-hmm. That's all very well. But why is the dog licking? Because if the dog is licking because it's anxious and it licks and you get up and go away, I think that's just going to increase the anxiety. So what is missing in that dog's life that that dog needs that you're not giving it Mm -hmm. and that's where I think a lot of redirecting a behavior you don't like onto something that you and your dog can do that's more positive is the way to go so give your dog lots of different toys to interact with take your dog out for walks play with your dog game of tug I love all of these things that you can do that give the dog something else to do Mm -hmm. rather than lick And I think for so many different behaviors, when you actually give dogs alternatives to do, Mm -hmm. it actually stops the behavior that you don't want, even if you're giving the alternatives in different situations. So, for example, if I treat an aggressive dog, I am treating, I'm doing a lot of other things. Let's say the dog is leash aggressive. I'm doing a lot of things in the dog's life, not just working with it on the leash. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because everything else in the dog's life is going to affect what happens on that leash. It's the same with the licking. Perfect. Okay. Uh, Next one is from Mercy in Florida, and she says, Hello, Victoria and Holly. I want to adopt a dog from a shelter in August when I'll be on vacation for two weeks. Great idea, yeah. I'm not sure if I will be getting a puppy or maybe a dog one to two years old. What do you recommend as far as training, considering my schedule will be different for those two weeks, and then I'll have to go back to work? My schedule is 7 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Someone will be home when I'm at work, my dad, so the dog will not be alone. Also, any suggested preparation before I get the dog? Thanks. First of all, I'll go live with her because it yes. sounds like this dog's going to have a brilliant life. Oh, wow. And love then it. how responsible is she prepping for a dog? I love that. Oh, my I, gosh. Oh, my gosh. And that's so important before you get a puppy or you, you get a dog, whatever, wherever you're getting that dog yeah. or puppy from, to do prep and to really think about it. Right. And the quality um, of life this dog's going to have. Yeah, because immediately I thought when she's working, I was like, don't get a puppy because she's working. Right. 
But she's out from seven till three and that her dad's there, then really sort of the world's her oyster. If her dad is sort of physically able and capable of looking after the dog while she's not there, great. Yeah. Then this dog is going to have companionship because that's the that's the worst thing yeah. is that when dogs are brought into homes and then they're just left by themselves for so long. Cats too. Cat, Yeah, the same thing. And that's why I'm all for getting a second dog. Everything in my house is twos. Yeah. Balance of You're vibration. Right. <laughs> You're right. Because, hey, we do have to work. We do mm-hmm. have lives. We are going to be out of the house. So I don't. I used to think that just having one dog is okay. It was okay because there was somebody around. If you're home around, yeah, or you have kids who are home. I really love two dogs and um, they can keep each other company. Yep, they tire each other out. Right, exactly. So I would say puppy or adolescent, well, you're looking at one to two-year-old dog. So it's becoming to an adult depending on what kind of breed of dog you have. It's going from adolescence to adulthood. Um, And if it's in a shelter, it may never have had been trained. No, it might not be. So anyway, find a good trainer in your area. Set up your support system, and I'm all about that. So she's in Florida. I don't know where in Florida, but you've got trainers in Florida. Yeah, we've got a lot of trainers in Florida. Go to positiveview.com slash trainers, and hopefully you'll be able to find a trainer in your area. But we do have a lot in Florida. Mm -hmm. So get your support system around you. Find a great veterinarian. Find Mm -hmm. a great positive trainer. Find maybe a dog sitter or a pet sitter. If your dad can't do it one day, find a play group your dog could go to. Set that all up before you bring pup home mm-hmm. or dog home and then get your essentials get your leash and your harness get the collar get the right tags that you're going to need some toys um, some toys a nice bed your food bowls set yourself up for that and then also take a look at your finances because I think people don't do this a lot mm. figure out how much you have to spend on that dog each year how much are you going to have for daycare? How much are you going to have for dog walkers if you need it? How much, and you will need this one, how much you need for medical bills, mm-hmm. okay? Sort out your finances, and if, if you're financially able and you have the time, then I would say the world's your oyster. With her, the world's your oyster. Go out and get a dog that is going to be happy in your home. Fits your lifestyle, but mm-hmm. you also fit that dog's lifestyle. Do you know bond, what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and then concentrate on building that bond and that great relationship. Let us know, Mercy. Email us back and let us know when you get the dog, what kind of dog you get and how it goes, because I'm very curious to see, because I bet this is going to be the best relationship ever. Okay, next question is from Audrey in California, and she says, what's the best way to convince a punishment-based trainer that reward-based training is the way to go? And you and I had a, a conversation about, it's even just if you see somebody with a choke chain on or a prong collar or a shock collar, how can you be most effective in helping that person. Okay, so I used to be very confrontational, right? So Mm -hmm. positive trainer in my, with dogs, but then pretty confrontational with people that had choke chains or what, you know, what the hell are you doing? Don't you know? Don't you get it? Right. And occasionally still with people who have shock collars on, I will get angry, Mm -hmm. but I won't show them that. I'll instead go, hey, did you know what this can do? And by the way, there's some great alternatives. Because as soon as you start just bashing somebody, People get defensive. they're going to get defensive yeah. and they're, they're not going to listen to you. So then you've lost. And that's what I've learned. Mm-hmm. You just lose <laughs> like that. It might, hey, maybe positively <clears throat> reinforcing for me to get angry for a second. Mm-hmm. And then I can get rid of all my error about what I feel about them. But what has actually achieved? Nothing. Mm-hmm. So I show them. I love to show people how effective different methods are. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, because remember, I work with the police. 
And so I'm working with a lot of guys that have choke chains and prong collars on their dogs. I'm not going to go up to them and say, hey, you, you're bad for using it. But I'm going to say, let's check out some other options. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you can't have a police dog that has a chest lead harness, but you can check out maybe just, you know, a regular collar on that police dog. So you don't have to use the chain. That's my approach mm-hmm. is like, okay, I'm going to give you the positives. I'm going to give you the negatives. And not that there are many positives to having a choke chain, mm-hmm. but I'm going to give you the negative of what's going to happen. But the positives that I'm going to give you are the alternatives. So you're reacting to it in a positive way as a positive trainer. See, it works with everything, not just dogs. But the thing that gets me that I have to really work on, I think, myself is not just with the everyday person, okay? Mm-hmm. The everyday person doesn't really know right. how dangerous these things can be. That's when you just got to you got to go slow, you got to be mm-hmm. easy. What I have real difficulty with I me, mean, I fully admit it. I put my hand up is these trainers that know. Well, they're making money off of they're it. They're making it money out yeah. of it and they are tormenting these animals and they're traumatizing these animals and that I cannot stand. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really have to rein myself in. Sometimes it doesn't work, but to really rein myself in and go, take a deep breath and go, okay, how can I chat to these people and show them that actually maybe that there is a different experience out there that could make them and their training more effective and it's better for the dog and it's better for them and it's going to get better results. And more rewarding, I would think, as well. You feel better when everybody's yes. happy and not this. Yes. Yeah. So, ew. but look, I think gently the, and positively. You know what? I think the most important thing is to recognize your own failings <laughs> and do what you can to better yourself. I'm always trying to do that. I'm always mm-hmm. trying to recognize, well, I screwed up there. I really need to work on this. And what kind of maybe irritates me a little bit is that other people are not doing the same. Not that they should do the same. But if I have that ability to be able to say, screwed up, need to change, or even have that, which I think every good trainer needs, is to have that open-mindedness, then if you're in my profession, I really think you should do the same. Because as a professional in this dog training world, you kind of need to. Right. I went on a bit of, off a bit of a tangent. As you it's okay, see. but I like it. You're passionate about it. About it. We mean, and we I'm love also, passion. I'm passionate about that this Ask Victoria is brought to you by Adaptil. That's right. You haven't talked about it. No, but I love, I love Adaptil. And here's the reason why. Yeah. Dogs get anxious and stressed, mm-hmm. just like humans. And just like humans, they don't always express it in the best way. Many pet owners might not realize these unwanted behaviors, such as excessive barking, soiling in the house, hiding and destroying household forms. Items are caused by stress. And all kinds of things can create stress for your puppy or dog, including loud noises, new people, surroundings, traveling, being left alone. But Adaptil is clinically proven to help reduce or eliminate stress-related behaviors by mimicking the natural pheromones pets use to communicate. It has a calming effect on your dog, which makes your home a happier and quieter place for everyone. Adaptil is available in a collar diffuser spray and wipes to help you keep your dog calm in just about any situation and best behavior starts with adaptal and if you want to find out more about how adaptal can help your dog's behavior check them out at adaptalus.com and i do love this product and i have used it a lot i've used it extensively and i find that it really works not with every dog but with most of the dogs that i work with i find it's a great tool in my trainer toolbox so thank you so much adaptal for sponsoring us victoria you are a very powerful partner and if anybody has questions of for Victoria and wants to be a part of Ask Victoria, you can go to the website positively.com slash Ask Victoria and uh, hopefully we can get to your question and, and help you. Another great podcast, another success. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit positively.com. Get connected on Facebook and YouTube as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter 
at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.